0: Good morning. It's good to see a good audience even with the cold weather. And uh, Pastor Pat was here first service. I'm not sure where he's at now, but he's taking a, a little bit of a break. And uh, I have the privilege of talking to you this morning, which I look forward to. So thanks for coming out. I know um, when you think of New Year's Eve and the New Year, oftentimes we think of New Year's resolutions. I'm not against New Year's resolutions, um, it represents us thinking through, trying to make things better, and uh, not opposed to that at all. It does represent man's decisions, works that we make decisions. This morning, what I would like to do is, is talk a little bit more about what I would call a God story. And what do I mean by that? A God story is where it's more than just human decisions that are taking place. A God story is when God invades a person's life, changes that life, and causes it to be new. In the New Testament, we would call that the new birth. That's when a person becomes aware of his sinfulness and realizes he's lost The cross, what Christ did for him, is explained and then the person, instead of trying to embrace his own efforts and own work to make him pleasing to God, totally embraces the work of Christ, knowing that only Christ's work makes him pleasing to God. The new birth, it's a God story, but it does represent a divine change. I think oftentimes, even in evangelical circles, we talk about these things, and many people who are on the, sort of on the, on the sides of it never really experience the God change. And I'm just saying what Jesus said. Unless you experience a new birth, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what I'd like to talk about this morning is a little bit about a God story, but it's not from the New Testament. It actually is from the Old Testament. And when I speak about a God story, I want to know what happens when a normal person, whether saved or not saved, collides with a God story. That's what we want to talk about this morning. And actually, it's going to take place. There's, here's one, and many of you people may not know or have known Tony Lawrence, who used to be here, but he's gone on to be with the Lord not very long ago. But I remember there was a young man in our church that, that um, had a relationship with Tony. I got involved as well. Tony understood the gospel. He embraced it. But the change in his life was significant to me. In little things, but it was significant. Because I remember as I rode around in the car, I was giving Tony a ride, and Tony would say, you know, there's this family in the church, they they don't have a lot. I think I want to take what I have, which he had almost nothing. I'd like to help them out. And as I sat and listened to Tony, I thought, okay, Chuck, if you were in that spot, would you think about using the little you have to help somebody else? I wasn't so sure I would. So this was a God story that I was colliding with. A little later on, Tony found out that he had throat cancer, and he struggled with that for a number of years. What was amazing to me is that Tony would turn around and fix meals for people, and delight in doing that, even when he couldn't eat himself. And I would stand back and wonder, if I was confronted with that, is that the way I would respond? So to me, Tony was a God story. There was something much deeper going on in Tony's life than just a human decision. It was God at work that changed him. So how do we respond? And so we're going to look at a story that actually comes from the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, which many of you are aware of, but there's there's a a different way I want to look at it this morning. Because there's three main characters. There's Ruth, there is Naomi, the mother-in-law, and there's Boaz. What I would like to look at this morning is Naomi, who collides with a God story in the person of Ruth, and watch how she responded, and maybe learned some things from that. Now, when you look at Naomi, the mother-in-law, again, this picture is a family that lived in the town of Bethlehem, a famine came, and they moved to a country of Moab uh, across the Dead Sea to try to escape the famine. Now, several things about Naomi, let me explain. The picture of Naomi before her collision. First, we want to look at her life prior to the collision with Ruth, And I use the word collision because there's such an impact that takes place. The meaning of her name was pleasantness. So Naomi's parents named her with a name that they thought would characterize her person. And I think if you read the whole book, which I'm going to encourage you to do on your own, she was in many ways a pleasant person. Something else about Naomi, and uh, again, if, if you do have the book of the Bible with you, I would encourage you to open up to the book of Ruth because some of the verses are going to come up on the screen, but not all of them. So if you really want to follow along, you can pull it up on your device as well. But here again is a characteristic of Naomi prior to her impact with Ruth. And that was her knowledge of God was personal. Notice what this says about her. It says, she said to them, do not, this is when she was returning from Moab back to Bethlehem, but just words to help you understand. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now notice again the person, me, as she talks about God. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I just want you to reflect in those words her personal relationship with the Lord. I believe she was a believer. In fact, not only as she talked about the Lord, when she talked to her daughters-in-law, her speech is similar. Now look at this. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go. Return each one of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your, of your husband. And she kissed them and lifted, they lifted up their voices and went. But again, you see the personal nature with her relationship with the Lord. It is there, it is there. Now, the difficulty, I think, that Naomi faces is something that I think that we could identify with, and that deals with times of difficulty. You know, God talk is easy when everything is going well. What happens when we're put into a position that's not easy? Now, this family was living in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is noted to be a great place to live. They had rich terraces of olive and fig trees and vines. They had valleys that were ideal for wheat and barley and grazing flocks. It was a town where you could do well in. But in this occasion, that town was suffering from a famine. And so... It's a difficult time if you could place yourself there maybe you have a good herd and flock and everything is starting to dwindle because there's no food it's getting it's becoming very difficult to live And so as you look at verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So they look over to Moab, which is a neighboring country that is divided by the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea actually descends. And so you can look beyond that. And they noted that Moab was much more prosperous. They still had green pasture lands. And they, it's a tough decision. You have two boys, you, have, you can see things dwindling where you're living, you're trying to support them. So in the exit, her focus was on the physical well-being of her family. We should be able to identify with that. There's even more that's brought out in the second verse as you look at it, and then I don't have it on the screen, but the man's name was Elimelech. That's Naomi's husband and his wife named Naomi. The names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion, which were, meant weakness in, 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 uh, in, in pining, so probably born during the famine. But then it says they were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. Now that was a distinguished family, So you sense, because of that, and because this man is a relative of Boaz, this is a prominent family. They have stuff. And so their decision is, you know, to hold on to our resources... So why don't we just go over to Moab and it talks about them, in my version it says to sojourn or for a while. It wasn't going to be a a permanent change, it was temporary. They were trying to work for their family to hold on to things, but in the back of it, in the back of their minds, probably the idea, you know, people are going to suffer here if we move there, guard our flocks and our herds. Then when the famine's over, we'll come back and our prominence will return much more rapidly they were thinking of the physical well-being do we do that isn't it true even among believers that oftentimes much of our concern is with the physical well-being yet it doesn't say anything because really within that famine they never regarded the sovereignty of god in giving that famine to israel his people. So they moved out and they went on, hopefully. And then it's interesting, and if you look at the next verse as well, it says that at uh, at the end of verse 2, it says this, and this is interesting, they entered the land of Moab and settled there. Now, this is what took place. They sojourned, it was going to be temporary, but when they got there, they decided Hey, these people aren't too bad. They're putting up with us. We're doing okay. We are going to settle there. Now it changes. And so now they're in Moab. And then this takes place in verse 3. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. We don't know how long it took, but he died there. As they were looking to prosper, more difficulty came their way. Then it says in that verse, her sons took Moabite women as their wives. Now that's interesting and it really spells this out even more. If in their mind they were going to return back to Israel soon, they would have never married Moabite women. They weren't thinking of returning. They were thinking of settling there. And so they married there. Why? Again, they were at least, I believe, Naomi, was a person of faith, probably a Elimelech, whose name means God is my king. Not sure where the sons were at, but now their focus is mainly on physical things. That's what caused the decision in the first place. And there's actually a contrast that's being painted in this book because Boaz too is a prominent man, but he doesn't go anywhere. He stays there and still God prospers him. One left, one stayed. That's the contrast that you see. And so then it says in that verse, not only that, it says this. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malan and Chilion also died. Now the two sons died. And Naomi is left there by herself with her two daughters-in-law. It had not turned out the way they had planned. And I just say... As believers, we need to think deeper than simply, is this decision, is this way of living, am I going to prosper physically? That can't be the only question. It has to go deeper than that. I shared the illustration one time when I was in Carroll. um, I was pastoring a small church there, and a doctor called me on the phone. And he said, Pastor, there's going to be another doctor. He's going to visit your church this Sunday, and we want him to have a great experience at your church. Now, this is an unbeliever, so I, you know, what is he trying to say? And I, why does that? Why is that? so important? And he said, because we want this doctor to be a part of our clinic, and he's already told us if he can't find a good church here in Carroll, he's not moving. And I thought to myself, that's an oddity. Shamefully, that's an oddity. He did come, he did, they did move to Carroll. They became a great asset to our church. But you see, his mind was thinking far deeper than economic prosperity. And I pray that we might as well. So this sort of tells you how Naomi was prior to her Impacting with Ruth. But also, as you go through inner times of stress as well, her focus always stayed in the exit, in the return. It, it talks about coming back to Bethlehem. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law. And uh, it says that To to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So here's the question. Why did she want to return? Again, it goes to what? Physical well-being, doesn't it? That's really what's on the mind of Naomi. And notice her words, even in her, as, as she started to travel back to Moab, as, as the scriptures talk, it says they started to travel back. In verse 7, it says... As they got, she left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and they traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. So picture this in your mind. These three now are traveling back to Bethlehem, all three of them. But then here's the counsel that she gives to her daughters-in-law. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may... Become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter in for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. So her counsel now to her daughters-in-law is what for their physical well-being. That's always there with her and that's what she's thinking. Now what's interesting about the story is that Orpa, the first daughter-in-law, listens to Naomi She kisses Naomi, they wept bitterly. This is an emotional time because they all had lost husbands. And she returns. So in that sense, Orpah was very much like Naomi in the sense, I love you Naomi, but I can't sacrifice my future well-being for this. I'm going back to Moab. And so really, she's very much like Naomi in her decision. But then something happened that she didn't expect. And that's her collision, so to speak, with the words of Ruth. This is what Ruth says. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you. To return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Do you hear her words? Notice, as, as you think about her words, it's just the opposite as you get with Naomi. Ruth's worldview mindset was radically different than Naomi's. It was not on earthly things. There was no major concern for a husband, no major concern for security of a known family, known language, known culture, riches, but it was focused on faith, On God? It's just interesting to me, because I remember one time a pastor said to me, you'll never lead anyone spiritually deeper than what you are, which in most cases is true, but not in this case. This decision was totally different than who Naomi was. And notice what she says, your God will be my God. In other words, she's coming to Naomi in the name of the God of Israel. Somehow, through all of the difficulties, the God of Israel was prominent in her mind. And then she says, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to be buried. Well, who probably is going to die first in this story, Naomi or Ruth? Naomi. She may not have that many years. And yet Ruth said, although she only lives three days away, she says, even after you die, I'm staying there. I'll be buried in the land you're buried in. This was a God story of grace operating within this young woman called Ruth. This was a God story which is amazing when you think about it. You wonder if when Jesus said in the Gospels, if any man loved father or mother more than me, he is not worthy of me. I wonder if he reflected on Ruth. I remember one time, just to show God's work in my life, when I was in the Air Force, um, I wasn't saved at the time, and I remember going to basic training, and I remember going to tech school, and then I'd go home, and I had about a group of eight friends that I hung out with, and we all, I went back to Milwaukee, and we celebrated had a great time. Then I went back to Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska as my first change, and there God got a hold of my life. And I remember as I came back to meet my friends, and they were waiting for me. We always partied, did different things together. And as I got there, I was walking with one of my friends, but they knew something was different. I had tried to tell them something happened to me. And I remember as I was walking in that house, and we were going to walk down to the basement where the rest of my buddies were. As I was going down the stairs, I could hear one of my friends saying, hey, listen, guys, What happened to Chuck? I've seen this, he said. I've seen this before. What happened to him? That'll last just for a few months. He'll be right back with us right after that. Don't worry about it. As I heard that, walking down the steps, I got down to the bottom of the steps, and I looked over at him, and I said, John, this is forever. And there was silence. God had gotten a hold of my life. And, you know, when you look at Ruth, it says when Naomi saw Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. A God story had taken place and startled, and startled Naomi. Now, as I look at that, you know, where did she see an example of this type of devotion? Ruth, in the The answer is, she didn't see it any place other than the work of God within her. So my question, when you look at your life, can you see the God work in you that has changed your heart at the very depth? That's called the new birth. That has to take place if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a God work. It clearly happened in the life of Ruth god uses now listen to this god uses an imperfect naomi to help create the god story now this is so interesting because you know it's boy haven't you been condemning naomi all the way through this in some sense yes because i think she could have been stronger spiritually but in another way i understand she's at where we're at so often and the amazing thing to me, as you look at the verses that go with this, look at the number of yous that Ruth actually uses in this statement. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where, I, for where you go, I'll go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people are going to become my people. Your God's my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Do you understand how God uses imperfect people to bring people to himself? That's, notice, she's not won by a great preacher. She's not won by a great passage of scripture. She's won by a life, an imperfect life indeed. And she follows her right back into the promised land a human instrument God uses. And I say that because sometimes I think people think, well, if I'm not spiritual like so-and-so or that person, then God's not going to use me. That's not what I'm reading in this story. God uses normal, everyday people that struggle with life. But talk about God. To bring people to God. I pray that that encourages you. As you look at this story, God could use us right where we're at. We certainly want to grow. But you know, when you look at that, what happens to you when God uses you to help create something beyond yourself? That's humbling, isn't it? It's very humbling, but that's clearly what God can do. Now, as you consider the story, the impact of the collision on Naomi's life. Now, they have two days, three days that they're walking back together. As soon as she hits Bethlehem, notice what happens. Notice how anxious Naomi is to confess. She says to them, to the people in the town of Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Do you see the humbleness in her as she confesses? Why do you call me Naomi, which means pleasantness, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Would you look forward to going into a town and saying those words? <laughs> no. But I think the impact of Ruth and that decision really impacted Naomi and humbled her to the place where she confessed before the town. It was impacting her. And I pray that as we see God stories take place that we would allow those God stories to talk to us. Now notice something else here about Naomi as as you consider her life. The impact of the collision on Naomi's life, Naomi's chief concern, the changes from self to the well-being of Ruth, it's really changed. Where the whole story at the beginning was the wellness of herself and her family, now it much more is centered on the very person of Ruth. There was a concern there, but now God seems to be very much a part of this, and she wants what's better for Ruth, not even for herself. And you'll have to read the rest of the book. It's a beautiful, beautiful book of three people being more concerned about other people than themselves. I mean, you have Ruth who's concerned about Naomi. You have Naomi who's concerned about Ruth. You have Boaz who's concerned about both of them. They're not concerned about themselves. That makes a beautiful story. And that's how this story ends. But clearly, the impact of Ruth's life on Naomi was powerful. And then notice the reward that God gives So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, to Naomi, note, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned to Israel. He shall be to you this new baby that was born, a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. She lost two, but notice the words of this, better than seven sons. Then it goes on, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse, and the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to whom? To whom? Not Ruth. Although it was to Ruth, how gracious our God is as one repents, comes back, and now she is restored in that sense. Final thoughts. (laughs) When you collide with a God story, let that life encourage you, challenge you, and convict you. I just picked out one individual, Greg Pollock, which many of you know, but he's a church planter over in Altoona. And I remember when Greg got saved, he actually bought radio time to share his story live. Any of you? Decide to do that with your life story. It just convicted me. What is this guy doing? Then I watched Greg as he started to grow and walk with the Lord. And then came the opportunity for him to be part of a church plant. I watched him sell his house at great loss so that he could be part of a church plant. Would you do that? See, that was a God story to me. That encouraged me, convicted me. God's stories. Let them be used by God. And then the last two thoughts. Pray that God might allow you to be a part of a God story in 2018. Wouldn't that be a great thing? If God would use you to see somebody else's life change and no, you don't have to be perfect to be part of a God story. Naomi clearly wasn't. Pray that the Sailorville Church would be privileged by God to see a number of God stories in 2018 and that we would be changed by them. That would be a great prayer as we come into the new year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Ruth. What a powerful story it is. And Father, as we reflect on our life, as we look at this book and reflect on our life, maybe there's people... Maybe all of us should reflect, where is our focus? Is it really in our growth for you, or is it more on the physical provision for our family? And Father, if it's not correct, I pray that you would change that and that we would grow in 2018. And Father, I do pray that you might raise up Some God stories here in our church that you might use us and we might sense the great privilege that it would be to do that. And Father, if there's anyone here who has not been changed internally in their very heart, the new birth, Father, I pray that they would make that need known to their family, to one of us here, to a friend so that they might see a God story take place within them. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.